Hello, folks, and welcome to Wait 5 Minutes, the Floridian podcast. I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Things are always changing around here because of how unique our state is. We have so many different cultures, ecosystems, and styles spread across our peninsula, and our social and political climate reflects that. The stories to be told about this state have a wide range. Hey folks, I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. Not too long ago, this show had a different title, Wait 5 Minutes, the Floridian podcast, but then sometime in the last couple years, I decided to shorten it to what it is now, Wait 5 Minutes. There's been a lot of change in this show, as you can hear from that clip that I just played from the very first episode of this show titled Bright Line Trains. It's been just about five years since that day on July 27th, 2018. I had an idea for a show that I churned up sort of out of desperation, if I'm being honest with you. This was never my plan. I I, I did not expect this show to be a huge part of my life. I I didn't have any plans for what I was doing in 2018, (laughs) to be completely straight with you. I was 22 at the time, fresh out of college and extremely unemployed. I had spent most of the summer sending out resume after resume, waiting for any fish to bite, and I was growing a bit weary about it. Nothing was coming back. I would sit hours in coffee shops, reading books, reading newspapers, looking for anything that could give me something to do with my time, and nothing was coming back. I spent a week of July in Tampa with my family, as we often do, and I found myself pondering what it would look like to write about Florida. What would that be? It was something I had hoped to do for a long time. Back when I was in college, I wanted to be a filmmaker, something I still have a lot of passion for, but I didn't know what kind of story I wanted to tell. I had written halfway screenplays. I had ideas of something that could be about Florida, but... I didn't know what it could be. I had no conception of what kind of stories I could tell. So I picked up the newspaper, as I often did at that time and still do, to see what was on people's minds. What was the state of Florida at that time in 2018? I stumbled upon the story of Brightline Trains. I don't know what inspired me to be so passionate about it, though I've always liked trains, but I was. So I scheduled an interview. I messed up the audio. I actually recorded it on the built-in laptop microphone instead of the good microphone that I bought at the time. So if you go back and listen to that episode, which, you know, keep in mind, not good audio on that interview. It's not It's not very good, but I edited it all together in an afternoon sitting in a folding chair, my laptop resting on a TV dinner wooden table, sweating because I turned off the fan in order to get good audio quality. I had no idea what I was doing. I published the episode and then... I just kept publishing episodes. <laughs> it was it was an idea. I had other ideas. And then all of a sudden, I was doing it every single day for the entire first year of that show. I think I missed only a week. The idea of taking breaks between seasons was something that came because I eventually had less time to dedicate to the show instead of just sitting around unemployed wondering what the hell this show could be. So I spent that first year just churning it out. Looking back on this show, it's it's really funny in those early days what it was because it, it surprised me as much as anything else. I was a theater student. I had spent the summer going to a class learning how to be a production assistant for film and television. I had considered moving to Atlanta, working on sets, trying to be a filmmaker of some kind, which had, of course, been my goal through college, but now... I was a bit disillusioned about that industry and my place in it, and I didn't really want to leave home. I didn't see any place in moving away from Florida. I wanted to be around my family. 
So I made that first episode and then I thought, what the hell? Why don't I just write about one of the things that I really care about? And that's Florida. So I made another episode and another and another. Looking back on it, it was impulsive. I gave it a shot. I, I didn't know what it was. I, I, I had to see what it was. I had to see what was driving me to tell these stories. I had no plans for it to be a multi-year project that I kept doing. As I write this and as I record it, for the first time in a long time, I am contemplating how unusual of a gift this show is. No one else works on this show. Occasionally, my loved ones will listen to the episode before it's released so I could get their approval, make sure everything sounds good, and I've commissioned art from friends for publicity, but the writing, recording, editing, publishing, that's me. I put my name at the top so that you know, it's me. I really care about these stories. I don't ask anybody else's help. I'm the one who wants to tell you these stories, and also, frankly, I love doing it. I've always loved doing it since the day that it started. It's been a project for me that inspired passion, that excited me, and on the really good days, it felt like it felt like this is what I was supposed to be doing, and it really does, all the time. That, that, that's the real secret about it. I was asked recently about the show by some uh, journalism students, which is a huge honor for me to get to talk about my experience as an independent writer and journalist, but genuinely, the, the driving force of this show is that I love it. <laughs> if there was... 20 listeners, I would probably still be doing this because I genuinely love these stories and I love getting to meet the people that I meet and going to the places and experiencing the things that I see. I love it. I wouldn't do it if I didn't. And I find new ways to love it too, new stories to tell, new types of adventures to go on. And sometimes I worry I'm getting too routine doing the same sorts of episodes. And then somehow the archives, the history, the people, they surprise me and a new story pulls me right back in. There is, somehow, always a story to tell. And that's because Florida is changing, always, and it always has been. That's why I named the show What I Named It. The quote, which we'll be talking about today, the subject of today's episode, is, If you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. Well, that's obviously a colloquialism, the sort of Florida folk language that I love so much. I think that that quote has really gained so much traction in Florida because of some primal instinct that makes all of us Floridians sort of amateur meteorologists. Picture me on St. Pete Beach just a few days ago, my nose deep in a book enjoying the views of the Gulf of Mexico as gray clouds begin drifting in my direction. A wall of them, in fact. No doubt about it, there was rain in those clouds and a fair share of thunder and lightning, too. The sound starts rolling over the beach, the long thunder waves of an oncoming storm. Somehow, however, I looked to the clouds and I made a bold statement based on absolutely no scientific observation. There was nothing to be worried about. The ocean wind would push it back and my relaxation on the sand would not be threatened. I am not a meteorologist, I must reiterate that, but something in my gut, based on no scientific knowledge, led me to say that. And soon, I checked my weather radar, it confirmed my suspicion. The storm would roll around and never hit the beach, and it never did. I'm not telling you this to prove how good I am at predicting storms. I'm mostly wrong. <laughs> it's, it's hit or miss, pretty much. But rather, I'm trying to tell you that the weather is a part of our lives in Florida. Whether it's our armchair meteorology or it's our temptation toward repeating the same aphorisms again and again. It smells like rain, so it's going to rain. No, it's too humid for that. Oh, this, the sun, it's not that hot. There's lots of humidity in the air. That's why you think it's so hot. All the same crap over and over again. Because we've gotten used to it. We believe in what we're talking about, even if we have no reason to suspect our expertise to come true. But if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. 
It rang true as the clouds rolled away from the beach, but it also rings true from our culture, our history, our politics, our lives. Our state is changing. Nothing is permanent. Like the shifting sands of our coastline or the impossible form of our wetlands, this state is changing. So if you don't like the way it is right now, wait five minutes. But that quote has more under the surface than it seems, and that's what this episode to celebrate our five years of this show is all about. Let's talk about the person who that quote is most attributed to, Mark Twain. Mark Twain once said, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. He said it originally speaking about New England. Over time, however, it has become an old adage for many states, but most importantly about the fickle nature of Florida's weather. If you're in Orlando, my hometown, and you're going east on I-4, it could be raining on your side of the road and be completely clear going westbound. That's just how it is. Arguably one of the most critical authors in the American canon, Mark Twain was born in Florida. Not the state of Florida, no, you fool. I tricked you. I gotcha. You got pranked. He's not from the state of Florida. No, Mark Twain, born Samuel Langhorn Clemens, was born in the state of Missouri, a few states over from us, born in one of the tiny little counties in the middle of northern Missouri, Monroe County. The seat of the county is named Paris. So the city that Twain was actually born in, in Monroe County, Missouri, was named Florida, genuinely. It was it was named Florida, and it, it still is, though. There's not much to that town anymore. It's located in an unusual spot. It's actually a peninsula, which I suspect is why it's called Florida. It juts out into this massive winding lake that is now called Mark Twain Lake, just a few miles from the Mississippi River. The city juts out on a peninsula into Mark Twain Lake, so that's my reasoning. I think that that's why it became called Florida. I can't seem to find any other suggestions. There is a campground in the town of Florida, Missouri, named Key West, which rules. I, I, I love that. Other than that, there's a location called Florida Resort and Winery alongside the Mark Twain-based attractions. But there's not much to the town of Florida nowadays. The census has noticed the dwindling population in the 21st century, and now it bears the distinct title of uninhabited, which gives me a creepy chill. That's a, that's a spooky word, uninhabited. Regardless, outside of the minor attractions, the Missouri-based version of Florida is quiet now. A certain visit for Mark Twain diehards and fans, but nothing more than that. It's still out there. I imagine. And if I find myself in that corner of the Mississippi River watershed, I'll be certain to visit our sister peninsula with a shared name. Though the town of Florida is called uninhabited officially now, that's not too different from how it was back when Mark Twain was born. On a website that is aptly named twainquotes.com, I'm, I'm lucky these things exist, I found this quote from Twain about his hometown that he originally wrote for his own autobiography. He says, quote, The village contained 100 people, and I increased the population by 1%. It is more than many of the best men in history could have done for a town. It may not be modest in me to refer to this, but it is true. End quote. Mark Twain is saying that if by his own birth he could increase a town population by a whole percentage, that means he has done what other greats could not. He literally references that Shakespeare could not have done such a thing. Quite a comparison on Mark's behalf, but it is a perfect example of Twain's classic dry wit. The town itself was only a few years old when he was born. It was founded in 1831, and he arrived in 1835. The building he was born in still stands in Florida, Missouri, next to a Missouri State Park called the Mark Twain State Park. A footnote. A structure there was built in 1941 by our pals the Civilian Conservation Corps, by one of the segregated all-black companies that were common in the CCC at the time. 
The other Twain location is east of Florida in the town of Hannibal, where the Mark Twain Boyhood Home and Museum resides on the Mississippi River. And apparently on that property, there is also a famous white picket fence from his story of Tom Sawyer, along with some other structures that are honoring those characters, Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer, and Becky Thatcher. Those characters are perhaps the most lasting bits of Mark Twain's writing in the American lexicon. The adventures of Huckleberry Finn, the adventures of Tom Sawyer, and the ensuing sequels have lasted to this day with adaptations abounding. I'm certain one or both of them is still read in school. I read them a couple decades back. Those books have faced an interesting recontextualization where people have noted that the treatment of black people in those stories is not exactly the most progressive, let's be honest. But I'll include some links so you can read about how people are still analyzing Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer from the perspective of the times that they were written, but also reading them nowadays. Either way, he also wrote The Prince and the Pauper and A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, the latter of which was adapted into a notable favorite of mine as a child. There's a pretty great movie that is an adaptation of that story. But just to list those titles is not enough to reflect how prolific of a writer Mark Twain was. The man just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. Essays, short stories, nonfiction, children's literature, an excellent play called Is He Dead, which I, I, I highly recommend if you're a, a theater student out there. I read it back when I was in high school. Is He Dead? Great read. He rewrote the lyrics of the Battle Hymn of the Republic for some reason. He wrote his own autobiography. Even his letters were published as a book. He had a lot to say and plenty of opportunity to say it. So it's no surprise that he has been widely quoted and widely misquoted in the century and change since he passed away. He's one of those authors that Americans probably know before they even really know who he is. Mark Twain is just a name you're kind of born with as an American citizen. With the distinct look of that wild hair and bushy mustache, he's kind of iconic in and of himself. Just knowing who Mark Twain is, knowing what he looks like, it's built into you. I don't even know when I learned who Mark Twain was. I'd be remiss to not recommend that he has a pretty interesting place in Disney World here in Orlando. If you visit Epcot, you can see him and Ben Franklin, which is an odd pairing, as the hosts of a show in the American Pavilion in Epcot called The American Adventure. It's a terrible show, but I have a lot of fondness for it. I watch it pretty much every time I'm at Epcot. If you want to see a robot of Mark Twain talking about American history go check out that show or go look it up on YouTube. It's pretty wild. But in the next park over in Magic Kingdom, there is an entire exhibit called Tom Sawyer Island based on his characters. Clearly he is woven into the fabric of American culture. Mark Twain is so prevalent that he's in Star Trek. He makes an appearance in Star Trek The Next Generation. He's recognizable. He, he's repeatable. He is a character in and of himself, both as a writer, obviously, but just the figure, who he was, the things he did, the, the persona he had. I bet if you try to picture Mark Twain's voice, you've probably heard someone doing some Mark Twain impression. He is that recognizable. But the truths of his life were complex even when he was alive, the, whether or not he was alive or dead became a contentious conversation in his life. A decade or so before Twain actually died, there were rumors floating around that he had fallen ill and was on the verge of death. That was 1897. A journalist at the New York Journal inquired to confirm, which cracks me up. Imagine a journalist being like, hey, Mark, are you alive? That That's very funny. He was, in fact 
okay. In fact, it was just his cousin with a similar name who was ill, and he survived, no problem. That's likely the source of the rumors. That's at least what Mark Twain suspected. Mark Twain allegedly responded to this untruth about his death in a very Mark Twain way. Quote, the reports of my death are greatly exaggerated, end quote. You've probably heard that quote. It's a, a classic Twain quote. However, remarkably, even that is a misquote. In the paper that contacted him, he responds and his quote reads, quote, the report of my death was an exaggeration, end quote. Slightly different. They made it sound a little more flowery in the quote that everybody kind of knows. Regardless, not the real quote. A quote about an untruth told falsely, repeated forever, making its way into our lives as if it's true. That is Mark Twain's power, even after his death. Which brings us to the show's title. If you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. Who said it? Did Mark Twain say it? Well, I said it in that first episode that there are variations on the quote, and you can't believe how true that is. If you look up the basics of the quote, if you don't like the weather, wait a minute, you will see all of the variations, and you will see how completely they are connected to Mark Twain. The most common version of the quote that I've seen is, if you don't like the weather in New England, wait a minute. Now, Mark Twain did live in New England for a good portion of his life, and that's likely how he got connected to that story. Thankfully, for you and for me, there is a website called Quote Investigator, another incredibly named website, and it has a fascinating examination of this quote and its origins. They point to an article that was published in January of 1909, an article from a magazine called Field and Stream by author James A. Cruikshank. In that article, Cruikshank says that the saying originates in Chicago, quote, where they have a saying, end quote. As if this quote just percolates around the city, as if the people of Chicago just say, if you don't like the weather, wait a minute. The article goes on to say, quote, it seems to a good many of us that after waiting several weeks of winter, we like the latest weather less than earlier, end quote. That was 1909, the year before Mark Twain would die. This article suggests that the quote wasn't affiliated with Mark Twain until 11 years later in 1920. Mark Twain certainly had other weather-based quotes. Here's a good one. Quote, people are always talking about the weather, but they never seem to do anything about it. End quote. I love that quote. I'm seeing people use this quote in and of itself in newspapers throughout the 19-teens, and they're not mentioning Mark Twain by name. They're saying it in reference to their city or, or as if it's just a popular aphorism that has started to be passed around. However, an article in the Cincinnati Inquirer from August 3rd, 1924 reads, quote, Mark Twain once said, if you don't like New England weather, wait a minute, end quote. Even earlier, 1920, as referenced in the article in Quote Investigator, published in Herald and News, December 2nd, 1920, quote, The weather for the past several days recalls to mind Mark Twain's famous quip, If you don't like New England weather, wait a minute, end quote. All right, 1920. Again, a decade after Mark Twain has died, we're starting to see that this quote is connected to Mark Twain himself. But it, it just must be said. We have no evidence to suggest that he actually said this. It seems like people just were saying it, and it was a folksy enough thing that someone once was like, didn't Mark Twain say that? And it just got lumped together. Quote Investigator also points to an 1876 speech that Mark Twain made, which included many different classic Twain quips about the weather. Quote, in the spring, I have counted 136 different kinds of weather inside of 24 hours. End quote. Similar sentiment? 
not the same sentence. He was in that quote referring to New England weather, but at no point in this speech does he say, if you don't like the weather, yada, yada, yada. This article goes on to quote the line over and over again over the ensuing decades. Sometimes Mark Twain was invoked, other times he wasn't. Most times it's the exact same setup of the sentence. Sometimes the region is referenced, sometimes the time is longer than just one minute, but the phrasing across this country is exactly the same. Over the course of 40-odd years, this quote is passed around like a tennis ball, back and forth, changing its spin on every volley, each writer adding their own flavor to it. But in the years after Mark Twain died, a different figure altogether became a host of classic American quotes, and soon, if you don't like the weather, started getting attributed to him. His name is Will Rogers. Though Will Rogers died in 1935, he became a voice of the American people throughout the Great Depression and earlier. You've likely heard his name and not known quite who he is. Beginning his work in vaudeville stages, doing Wild West shows, riding horses, and doing rope tricks, Rogers came about in the late 19th century when entertainment pre-cinema was much more live theater and lots of tricks and excitement. Vaudeville, trick shows, things like Wild West shows, which is what Will Rogers did, they were the primary form of entertainment. They would travel around, they would appear in theaters, it was, it was the main thing that came around to, to keep people satisfied and enjoying themselves and laughing, and Will Rogers was a part of that at the end of the 1800s. He transitioned to Broadway and quickly became known not just as a performer, but as a quippy American comic. He had jokes at the expense of everyone, progressives, conservatives, young, old, rich, poor, everybody. He had these folksy stylings that were extremely reminiscent of the wit that came from Mark Twain. Will Rogers even appeared in a 1931 adaptation of Mark Twain's A Connecticut Yankee. But the place he made his most impact was on the radio, telling stories, making jokes, and commenting on the culture of the time, the early 20th century, the politics, the American experience, everything. He had a folksy wisdom, a sense of humor that many people just connected to. It's unsurprising then that the quote eventually finds itself attributed to Will Rogers. There is an obvious parallel line between the two men, but if the quote had been drifting around for years, Will Rogers hardly coined the term. It was around for 30 years before he apparently said it. Nevertheless, Quote Investigator lists a few instances of, if you don't like the weather, being attributed to Will Rogers as if he coined it. Washington DC weather? Wait a minute. Oklahoma weather? Wait a minute. Will Rogers said that, right? No, we have no evidence to suggest that Will Rogers or Mark Twain said that quote. It's frankly a disaster of, of historical tracking. I have spent the last five years reading about history and finding incredible through lines from the past to the present, winding like a treasure map through different elements of American history. Sometimes I'll be talking on the show and I'll say, but we don't have time for that. We'll come back to that in another episode. That's because these stories sort of intersect. They, they find us at crossroads and I could really get distracted and go off on a side path and talk about something else. That's how interconnected so much of American history is. And yet... This colloquialism that has been spread around and changed and reused, it's become so much of a cliche that it became the title of this very show to describe a certain sentiment about Florida that I think people just inherently understand. And yet, we have no idea where it comes from. One of the great joys of history is that there is some level of objectivity to events. Certainly, there's different perspectives on the way that things went down, but for the most part, there is some objective truth to it. Things happened. We have written, physical, ancestral evidence. We have oral histories, archaeological evidence, 
genealogical evidence. These things have concrete truths to them, but it changes with perspective. And as we have talked about a bit in the last few months, really since this show started, history can be fragile. We forget how to take care of it properly, and sometimes we change things to suit our narratives, or sometimes without meaning to, something falls through the cracks. A document isn't saved, a photograph isn't taken, a name is not written down, and then all of a sudden, it's gone. Never to be heard of again. Nobody else recorded it. And these things, they just disappear. I've been making the show for five years, and it, of course, didn't start as a history show. It became a history show, slowly, suddenly, out of nowhere, when I fell in love with the story of the Indian River Lagoon. But its title, the thing that founded this show, is a sort of lie, an untruth on top of an untruth. Mark Twain never said, if you don't like the weather in Florida, wait five minutes. Not even close. Nobody did. I guess I did. I guess you did. I guess your parent or grandparent said it. Somebody did, but it wasn't Mark Twain. Yet that is the story that I believed, or rather, it's the story that I accepted as true. I don't find it remarkable that these important figures got tacked onto this quote. That's something we humans like to do. We like to prove our points by saying someone smarter, someone more important said it first. What's more interesting to me is actually the secret truth of this story, which is that we don't know who said it. We have no idea, and yet somehow, before the Mark Twain attribution got involved, newspapers all over the country were just saying it over and over and over again, claiming it as their own. It's like it appeared from nowhere. It's like we all agreed sometime in the 1800s that that is the sentiment we like to feel about our hometown, and we all phrased it the same way. Isn't that amazing? All across the country, west, north, south, east, everywhere, people were saying the same thing. Maybe it did come from somewhere. We will never really know. All we know is that it became a part of our lives without anyone in particular saying it. Somehow, we all came to the same conclusion. The weather, unfortunately, is unpredictable. And if you don't like it, well, you know the rest. By the way, I, I, I would be remiss to not tell you this. They did some science to determine the location in this country where that is the most true, that the weather does change on a dime. Well, there's a few places that have emerged based on this study as the most unpredictable locations weather-wise. Florida, remarkably, lies among the more predictable regions of weather in this country. But if we're being honest, that's not really a surprise. In the summer, rain after 3 p.m. In the winter, a week of cold. You get it. The same is true for California. Lots of predictability in those sunny, hot regions. But according to this study, they actually have determined the city that is the least predictable city weather-wise in the United States. Would you like to guess? I'll give you a moment to think about it. All right, have you decided? Here we go. I bet you got it. It's Rapid City, South Dakota. Did you get it? I bet you didn't. Because who who would guess Rapid City, South Dakota? Here is the quote from the study. Quote, It's snowy and windy and prone to big, unexpected winter storms. And it has a thunderstorm on almost 25% of days from July through September, more than the national average. End quote. So in the end, Mark Twain, Will Rogers, and myself, we are all sort of wrong. The quote, in truth, should be as follows. If you don't like the weather in Rapid City, South Dakota, wait five minutes.
But this is not a South Dakota podcast. Maybe we'll pay the state a visit sometime in order to make it one, just for one episode. But this is a Florida podcast. It's starting to seem like our weather may be more unpredictable than we even realized. It's starting to get even more unpredictable, though many scientists would say they have been predicting this outcome for quite some time. If you've stepped outside recently, you felt it. We're having a particularly hot summer, the results of years of this climate crisis leaving its mark on the state, the country, and the globe. Scientists have noted the immediate and long-term impacts of our hot summer. This was originally predicted to be a quiet hurricane season with less named storms making landfall. Now, with the heat increasing, the temperatures of the ocean and hot oceans being one of the causes of hurricanes, scientists have changed their forecast. Now they're predicting more storms making more intense landfalls throughout the hurricane season. Additionally, the coral reefs around Florida have already been facing many impacts from the heat with warming water, diseases affecting their growth and reproduction. Now the hot waters of the ocean could lead to more illnesses and more death in these vital underwater ecosystems. The impacts of the climate crisis are here. We must prepare for them, of course, and many scientists and communities are giving us a path forward not only to prepare for what we will be dealing with from the impacts of what has been done to this planet over the last several centuries, really the last century period, but also plans to make it better while we still have time. Because we still have time. Our weather is a part of who we are, for better or for worse, and right now the times concerning our weather are frightening. There is a path forward, but respect for this ecosystem that we call home is essential to that. Like I said, weather in Florida, it's part of who we are. We talk about the sunshine, we talk about the storms, we talk about the weirdly cold month in January that we always experience, but it's part of who we are. It does not need to be our enemy. We can still have an impact. Now, certainly there are things that we feel like we can do on a day-to-day -day basis that can make things better, and that's true, but realistically, the only way that the climate crisis can be helped is if we ask those in power to listen to the science. Climate crisis is real. The global warming impacts are here. They've been here. They, they very much have started impacting our ecosystem. We don't know everything that's going to come out of this. We are already seeing things that nobody predicted. Trees, birds, plants, water adapting or evolving or dying in ways that nobody predicted ever. Nobody saw this coming. And without me realizing it, the title of the show is proving truer and truer every day. We don't know what's going to happen. Change is part of who we are. And I guess the question that, that leads me to this moment, the, the thing that will be motivating me for the next five years of this show, the next however many years of this show, is that same question. If you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. Well, I think that's very true. If you don't like this heat, if you don't like the, the possibilities of what climate crisis is going to do to us, the, the things that we could be seeing within our lifetimes, there's no time to wait. The work has to be done. We have to do our part right now. So if you don't like the weather, do something about it. There's no point in waiting anymore. That time is up. We got to do the work now so that we can keep enjoying our hot summers and our cold winters and our strange, unusual thunderstorms and our friendly, inviting warm gulf and our deeply chilly Atlantic Ocean. These things matter. They're part of who we are. So let's get to work. Before I go, before I, I wrap up this episode, I have to say some thank yous to friends and family who have had a huge part of this show. 
Some dear friends have come out of this show, a community of talented, wonderful people that stretch across this state, this country. I fear I do not express it often, but the generosity of time, of information, of friendship is more than I can fathom. At the time of this writing, I'm scheduling a few episodes for down the line with former guests, friendly, wonderful people who oblige my requests to come bother them sometime, and I'm exceedingly grateful that they welcome me in. I'm also eager for all the new people that have invited me to go places to, to hear about their lives. I am extremely touched by the fact that people want to tell their stories and hope that I can be a, a conveyor of their stories on this show. I've jokingly referred to the guests on this show as a council of nerds, but I'm, I'm not really being facetious. It often feels like whenever some new episode comes across my mind, I can turn to one or many people in my circle of brilliant human beings who are just an email away and they'll agree to guide me on my path. On top of that, this show has granted me opportunities to visit places I've never dreamed of, experience things I never thought I'd get a chance to experience, and create work with and for organizations that I have admired for years. Whether that's newspapers, history museums, or even getting my work published in a book, the opportunity to write about this state is one that I do not take for granted, and I am eternally thankful to the people who have given me a chance. I have to call out one person in particular, and that is our friend, Gabrielle Khaleesi, who has opened the door for me so many times in the last four years, and I owe her for that more than I can express. So, if anybody's going to get a shout-out here, the right person, I think, is Gabrielle Khaleesi. All that to say this. Thank you for listening. I say it every week at the end of the episode. Thank you for listening. I'm glad you're here. I say it every week as an homage, frankly, to a few people, to, to people who have inspired the tone that I want to create for the show. One of them is Fred Rogers. His warm, gentle presence on screen made him my favorite show as a kid. Strangely enough, we graduated from the same college, Rollins College here in Winter Park, Florida. I have nowhere near the attitude that Fred managed in his career, the sort of kindness that made him endearing and important, but the way he invited the viewer in. He treated everyone, no matter who they were, as an equal. And I hope when you click play on an episode of this show that you feel the same way, that you are welcome for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or sometimes, bless me, an hour to just sit and hang out and learn a little something with me. But another influence comes to mind when I reach the end of the show, the one and only Carol Burnett, one of the funniest human beings who has ever lived. At the end of her show, The Carol Burnett Show, she would sing a song to say farewell for the night. I'm so glad we had this time together. I was thinking when I started the show of the best way to say thanks for listening, see you next week, and Carol easily came to mind. And I mean it. I sometimes remark to my family how strange it is to think about the people who listen. My family is four people. They're the ones who listen. If you count my closest friends who I know listen every week, that's maybe a dozen, two dozen guaranteed listeners. But there are thousands of you out there, and I don't know who you are. You live all over the state, the country, the world, and when I think about recording my little show in the corner of my room late at night, sometimes doing interviews in my car or in a towel closet, sweating profusely in order to get good audio so that no fan would, would muck up the quality, or staying up late finishing an edit before a busy weekend ahead, or fervently re-recording one word because I pronounced it wrong and I'm editing it at 11.30 on a Sunday night right before the episode comes out, when I do those things, I remember y'all. And it fills me with a lot of pride. So when I say I'm glad you're here, boy do I mean it. There's no show without you. So thanks for listening. There'd be no show as well without my family. My father who listens to every episode and asks me about the topics before and after the shows come out. My grandmother who gives me helpful critiques, usually adding some personal history to my episodes in long phone calls after the episode comes out. 
My stepfather, who sends me articles nearly every day of future topics that I could cover on the show, and my mother, who gets an earful from me about episode ideas months and months in advance, and from whom we got the title of this show, Wait Five Minutes. My mom came up with the idea, and she gets the official credit. Susan Depke, it's all yours. I think I wanted to call it like Florida stories or something terrible like that. I had no good ideas. I probably wrote out a dozen ideas and all of them were pretty bad. But no, we settled on the right name. Wait five minutes. That was just right. So even though the sentiment's changing and even though our state is different than it was five years ago, the idea remains the same. The show is about you and me and the places we live and the things that matter to us and the things that have come before because everything is changing all the time and certainly in the next couple years we're going to see that even more so while i do suggest you do something if you don't like the way it is if you don't like the weather it's going to change eventually wait five minutes Thank you for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I apologize for being a bit overly sincere at the end, but it's five years and you got to take a moment to appreciate the moment. I am so glad that you are here. If you enjoyed this episode, maybe not a great episode to start on. It's, it's mostly an essay about how emotional I am about the existence of this show. But if you enjoyed the show, share it with a friend. You can find the show on Instagram and Facebook at WFMPod. Send me an email at WFMPod at gmail.com. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I would love to hear what you enjoy about the show in a review or in an email. Thank you. It means a lot to me, truly. All the music used in this episode was originally composed. There will be some links in this episode description so you can learn more about the state parks and locations related to Mark Twain and Will Rogers, and I must include the links to Quote Investigator, the best website title I've seen in my creation of this show. Go check out their article. It's really comprehensive. Lots of different quotes that are about if you don't like the weather, etc. So go give that a read. All right, that is it for me this week. That is it. I guess that puts a book on five years, which is absolutely insane to me to think about that it has been five years since this show came into existence well technically thursday will be five years but you know we don't put episodes out on thursdays we put them out on mondays so thank you for listening to this story it means so much to me sincerely we will be back next week we're getting right back into it i took a i took a quick week to be sentimental and then we got some heavy topics ahead of us we're going to talk about andrew jackson next week then we're going to talk about reedy creek and the conflict between disney and ron DeSantis. we're going to go visit my local library a heavy hitter i know we're going to talk about book bands in the state of florida and then we're going to wrap up this season with a trip to tampa bay where we're going to check out red tide we're going out on the water i'm genuinely i cannot i haven't recorded that episode yet but man it's going to be such a blast when i talk about the opportunities this show gives me that's a great example of one i cannot wait to take you out on that adventure but until then i am nick delisandro be good to yourself be good to others drink more water and go gator and muddy the water thank you sincerely for listening happy five years <laughs>